and uh, we're going we're gonna to read a few verses in Judges 6, then we're going to jump over into Judges chapter 7. And I, I couldn't come up, I, I kept going back and forth on a title for this message today, and, and uh, I wanted to call it Wonder Bread. And you'll see why in a minute. Um, but yeah, Judges chapter 6. So maybe that, that'll stick. I don't know. We'll see how, how it goes. Judges 6, verse 11. This is what the Bible says. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizurite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered and said, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Judges chapter 7, verse 1. Early in the morning, Jerubbabel, this is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. And the Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. So he says this, he says, Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. The Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. One translation says, I will choose them for you there. If I say this is the one that shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. Then the Lord told him, separate those who lap water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, because that's just weird, lapping like dogs. All the rest, like most of us, got down on their knees and stuck their face in that water and drank it. Then the Lord said to Gideon, with 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all of the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. We thank you. That nothing is too hard for God. And I think sometimes in a world that is focused on not having enough, if we were to really examine our lives, for most of us in the room, we would have to come to the conclusion, maybe we actually have too much. So God, help us to see how little is much in your hand. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said amen. You know, a common theme or thread in the call of God, as you see throughout the scripture, God calling men and women to do something for him, is that there is something that he is asking them to do that no one but him thinks they can do. It's, it doesn't fit their circumstances. It doesn't seem to fit their nature doesn't seem to fit their education or background. It doesn't seem to fit into their family history. And so usually when God says to someone, hey, I'm calling you, their first response is not immediately to feel qualified, but horrified. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like just the idea of God using you is is scary. And you immediately feel like, oh, I don't understand 
why you're saying this to me. Maybe you got the wrong address. Maybe somebody gave you some bad information. Maybe somebody pointed you in the wrong direction. But God's talking to you and he's saying things to you that don't match up with what you think about yourself or anything that anybody else has ever said about you. And this is, this is why the call of God is so unique from, from a vocation, from a job, from, uh, from sometimes the work that you will do to, to sustain your life, to be able to have an income and provide for your family. Very few people get to follow the call of God and also make a living from following the call of God. Many people are bivocational in that sense. What I mean is that God, there is something that God has called you to that doesn't really have anything to do with the day to day of your life. Here you see Gideon, he's threshing wheat in a wine press. This is something that was necessary so that the people could eat, so that they would have the grain necessary to create the bread necessary for them to live. He's not making a living from it. He's barely surviving from it. And God comes and he calls him to something that looks like it's in the complete opposite direction of what he has called him to. It's like David. Do you remember when David was called? The Bible says when David was anointed, he was actually tending sheep. And they forgot to invite David to his own anointing service. And so the prophet's like, you, you got to have another son. And, and Jesse's like, well, I do. He's out in the field. So he's like, go get him. So they, they bring him in and David gets anointed. And then immediately David gets sent back out into the, back out into the field. And it's like God calls him to this, this, this throne. But it's like what I'm currently doing doesn't seem to line up with what God's called me to. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like... You find yourself in a situation where you feel this tug that God is calling you into something, but you're in just the monotony of life and the routine of life. And the routine of life can feel very opposite of what we think the call of God is. But I am thankful for faithful people who are willing to get up and go and hit the time clock and go to work and be faithful to do what they know to do until God himself draws them out into something else. And really, God is, is, not, is not looking for, for incredibly talented people. He doesn't pick many talented people. He, he doesn't pick many wise people. He doesn't pick many influential people. He doesn't pick many... Uh, affluent people. He, he chooses a lot of people whose calling doesn't seem to line up with where they currently are. And the reason he does that is because God is looking for one thing more than anything else. God is looking for faithfulness. God is looking for people who just will faithfully serve their family and do what they know to do. And there are a lot of people who stay in this constant state of apathy waiting for God to do something magnificent in their life, not realizing that God is just looking for people who are committed to the routine sometimes. Just showing up. Just being a husband. Just being a wife. And when it comes to the way God sees it, none of that is just being or just doing anything. Any housewives in the building want to just say amen to that. Any working moms just want to say amen to that. Any dads who get up and just go to work every day want to just amen to that. What I'm doing is not just anything. It's faithfulness. It's, it's being faithful. God's looking for people who are faithful because very often faithfulness is a lonely place. <laughs> and if you, if you look at the Bible, a lot of the people God calls are in lonely places by themselves, if not physically, emotionally, if not physically, very often spiritually, if not physically, they're, they're like Gideon hiding in a wine press. Maybe there are people here today and you are hiding in something. Might not be a wine press, but maybe some people today are hiding in fear. 
the wine press where Gideon is and why he's threshing wheat in the wine press is because he's afraid of the Midianites. Maybe you're hiding in your anxiety. Maybe you're hiding in depression. Maybe you're hiding in bitterness. Maybe you're hiding in frustration. Maybe you're hiding in anger this morning. I don't know where you're hiding, but I know that most of us do really good jobs at hiding. Really good at it. So God is looking for faithful people and people who have been faithful very often to the extent that they feel alone in their faithfulness. That's why so many of the prophets were like, I'm the only one. Nobody out here loves God like this. Nobody out here serving God like this. Nobody out here is being faithful to their church like this, being faithful to this job like this. You can feel by yourself. And it's so wild that when we are just faithful and we get to this place where it's like we are all by ourselves, God comes along and says, hey, you. <laughs> and I came today, I don't think so much as to preach to many of you, but I came today for some of you to prophesy to some of you, it's time to come out of hiding. God is calling you. And sometimes your life doesn't begin with a change or your life doesn't begin to change with a change in your bank account or your job status. Sometimes your life begins to change in your mind before it ever changes in your reality. Proverbs teaches us as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so I've, I've told people this so much throughout the years. If you cannot get your life out, get your mind out and your life will follow. So that's why God comes and he says, hey, mighty man of war. And he's like, pardon me. Because God's like, if I can change the way you see yourself, then I can change your life. But if I can't change the way you see yourself, because the way you see yourself is almost just as important as how you see God. Because how you see God very often is a reflection of how you see yourself and your circumstances. So that's why the Bible talks about you changing your mind. Not just about what you think about God, but what you think about your life. What you think about you. What you think about what you've gone through. What you think about who's in your life. What you think about what you have. Because if I can change your mind, then I can change your Life. So he's like, hey, let me let me deal with your mind just a little bit. You see yourself in a certain light. And if you're not careful, this is going to limit you for the rest of your life because you are not limited by the Midianites. You are you're not you're not limited by this situation. You are limited by the way you are thinking. So he calls him out and watch that. This is really interesting to me because when God. When God encounters us, God doesn't just encounter us to just like give us chill bumps and give us like good feelings and, you know, well, how is church today? Man, it just felt really good. And it's that's part of it. But the reason we gather, the Bible tells us, is that we gather so that the saints can be equipped for the work of the ministry. And so there's there's a there's a. There's a part of our gathering that is emotional. It's healing to our emotions. It's it's strength to our bones. It's it is a chill bump every now and then. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine just yesterday and they said something. It just like woo, the hair stood up on my arms. I was like, that's that's the Lord. That's God is speaking to me. This conversation just went to another level, you know, and you can tell those things and you can feel that emotionally. And all of that is wonderful and all of that is good. But God doesn't just meet you to give you a chill bump. God meets with you to give you a plan. Because God has a plan, not just he doesn't want to just change your mind. He wants your mind to be open. So he's not just changing your mind for the sake of changing your mind. He wants your mind now to be open to the plan that he's about to deliver into your life. Because God has a way out, but God uses a plan. I need you to follow me for a minute. In Judges chapter 6, verse 20. Gideon is having this conversation with the angel of the Lord. 
And then all of a sudden Gideon's like, wow, I want to offer a sacrifice. And so Gideon goes and he gets a sacrifice and he brings it. And the Bible says here in Judges 6 and 20, it says that same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. He says, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. So in other words, I've come to change your mind. But I haven't come to just change your mind for the sake of changing your mind so that you can be like, yeah, I'm an overcomer. What good does that do you? He gave him a plan. He starts to reveal to Gideon, this is how I work. I am a God who works through strategy, through plans. I don't just wing it. I'm not just mailing it in. I'm not just like, I'm God, it'll all work out. No, I came and I came to this space specifically. I came to talk to Gideon, the son of, I came to this particular time and moment in your life, not to just give you a good feeling, but to deliver a plan to you. And God kind of starts to begin to even reveal more. So he goes into verse 26 and then he tells him, he says this, now do this. He says, build a proper kind of altar to the Lord. Build it up on top of its height. Use the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down. Offer that second bull as a burnt offering. Then the angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread. Place them on this rock and pour out the broth. Watch. See it? Do you see it? God's like, I'm teaching you how to follow me. And here's, here's this, is, this is simple stuff compared to what Gideon's getting ready to do. And this is where we miss God. We think God is all in in these big, big moments. And God is like, no, I'm in the daily sacrifice. I'm in the daily, I'm in the routine of your day. And if I can get you to follow me in the routine, if when I nudge you and I say, hey, talk to that person, if when I nudge you and say, hey, pray for that person, if when I say, hey, give something to that person, if I can trust you to hear me in these little things, then I'll be able to use you to overcome an army. But I got to know that I can trust you to make to at least know how to make a sacrifice correctly. There's so many people who miss God because it's like, I'm bigger than McDonald's. <laughs> and you may be, but right now, God is trying to teach you how to offer this part of your life as a sacrifice. God is trying to teach you how to be faithful in small things so that he can trust you with much. You just quit in job after job. I'm better than this. I'm smarter than this. And, and just sitting in your mama's basement playing your Xbox like one day my day's going to come and one day so I'm going to get the job of a lifetime. And <laughs> All right. God's like, I, just, I want to be able to, to, I want to be able to, to talk to you about just the daily sacrifice of offering your life and, and not having any other gods before me and, and tearing down the, the altars that you've built up and the things that you've trusted in. And, and when, I can, when I can get you to hear me in that, oh, I'm going to start talking to you about, about other plans that I have for your life. So God gives you a plan. Psalm 127 says something very interesting. And this has been one of the, one of the frustration points of my entire Christian life. And maybe some of you will resonate with this. You'll, you'll, you'll hear this and be like, I feel that too. Psalm 127 and one says, unless the Lord builds a house, those that build it labor in vain. Does anybody read that and just get immediately frustrated with that? Okay, I guess I'm just alone. Because I read that and I go, okay, okay, <laughs> let me ask the question. So if God builds it, why do I have to? Because you said unless the Lord builds it, then those who build labor in vain. So who's building it? Me or God? 
anybody else feel this tension in your walk with God? Like, God's going to fight for me. And you just want this big fist to come out of heaven and just destroy your... The battle belongs to the Lord. Well, Lord, <laughs> if this battle's yours, you're not doing a really good job at <laughs> fighting this one. I don't know if anybody else has felt this tension in your walk with God. Like, what does God do? What do I do? Because if God's building the house, why, why would I labor anyway if God's the one who builds it? Battle belongs to the Lord. Stand still and see the salvation of God. And, and if, you, if you actually go to Exodus in that account where Moses says, stand still and see the salvation of God, you start to realize that tension is, is potentially always going to be there. But the only reason you're standing still is because you're not following the plan. Because... When they get up against it and Moses is like, okay, guys, it's good. Just keep standing where you're standing and watch what God's going to do. And immediately Moses turns to God and he's like, God, what are you going to do? <laughs> you, you haven't read your Bible because somebody said stand still. And you're just like standing still like ain't nothing happening out in these streets. Standing still feels stupid. Moses goes to God, what are you going to do? God goes, why are y'all still standing here? I told you to move. <laughs> Follow the plan. Oh, man. But, man, it's like we want to blame God. And God's like, no, I gave you an entire book. It's a whole plan. There's strategy in there. There's strategy for your marriage. There's strategy for your business. There's a plan for your health. We look at the, it's legalism. No, if we would follow the Bible's plan of eating, we'd be a whole lot healthier. This Bible's trying to control my life. No, it's actually if we would follow the Bible's plan for our marriage, our marriage would be a whole lot healthier. <laughs> Watch God. God's like, hey, <laughs> I'm sending you. There's a story in the Old Testament where God challenges this king to battle. And he's like, okay, you're going you're gonna to gather this many men, and then you're going you're gonna to put all this together, and then I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, God says, I'm going to do this. And then he looks at him, and he, goes, he, he says this to God. He's like, uh, who's going to throw the first punch? And God's like, you are. And I think so often, if we're not careful, we'll get frustrated in this tension with our lives. Like, God, what are you supposed to do and what am I supposed to do? Not realizing that when the Bible says God is a builder, we have to understand that buildings don't begin with hammers and nails. They begin with a plan. And I think sometimes we're just out here trying to build stuff and God's like, I've got a plan for that. Trying to build a business. Oh, I've got a plan for that. But we're out here just hammering nails. You like this, God? I'm working really hard. I'm staying up late. My marriage is falling apart. But I'm building this business. You told me to do it. And you can feel this level of frustration. God's like, I never told you to do that. I never. In Exodus, when he's talking to Moses and he's talking about the tabernacle, he's like, Moses, you better make sure that you build it according to the pattern. Don't just build what you see in your mind. Don't just build what you feel in your heart. Build according to the pattern. This is why it is important that your relationship with God goes beyond showing up to Sunday and hearing me preach. Because you need a relationship with God where God can download plans into your spirit. So Gideon is hidden, hiding. He's hidden, but he's still fruitful. Hidden, and he's apparently gifted and doesn't know it. I came this morning to talk to some people who could have done the wrong thing. 
and you didn't, and no one would have actually even blamed you for doing the wrong thing, but you didn't do the wrong thing, and you kept your integrity, and you stayed faithful, I came to declare to you your season is here. Why is that? Because we live in a world that is desperate for integrity. Gifts are a dime a dozen. Integrity is what we need. Remember, Gideon, he says, I hear you, but my clan is the smallest. And I am the weakest. Gideon is talking about his abilities, the size and the limitations of his life and his family. But what we find out about Gideon is Gideon has maybe a limited capacity when it comes to his stature, but Gideon is not limited in the capacity of his character. And I came to tell you today, God is not looking for the capacity of your gift or your talent. He's coming looking for people who have the capacity of character to maintain what he wants to bring into your life. I hear you, but I'm not able. He's concerned with his physical limitations, but God isn't concerned with that. God is like, I didn't come here because of how tall you are or how strong you are. I came here because I believe you have the capacity of character to do what I'm asking you to do. And Gideon proved it immediately. I'm going to offer a sacrifice. Go tear down that idol. Scared out of his mind. Did it in the middle of the night, but he did it anyway. Just doing the right thing over and over and over again. You know you've really had an encounter with God when you are convinced that the right thing is the right thing, no matter what the results. So they're getting ready to go and fight. And they're camped out. And God starts to, to talk to him and give him another plan. And God says to Gideon, he's like, um, hey, yeah, you don't need this many people. Gideon's like, okay, what's going on? He says, well, I want you to tell everybody who's afraid that it's fine if they just go back. So Gideon obeys, and he says, okay, um, I just wonder if God had to have a, like a little private conversation with him. Like, Gideon, I know you're afraid, but you can't leave. Like, you can't. You can't be one of the ones that goes. So Gideon's like, yeah, everybody who's afraid, uh, I guess you can leave. God said, 22,000 people left. Here's, here's the thing about the call of God. The call of God, if you'll follow it, it will by default eliminate more than half of the wrong people from your life. Some people are like, man, I just keep, fall I just keep getting into the same kinds of relationships. I'm like, it's because you're not following God. Because if you were following God, the thing God has called you to would be so, it, you'd be so afraid of it. And the people around you would be so afraid of it. There's no way they could stay committed to you. Because it's too crazy. Have you ever had a dream so big that it didn't just scare you, but it scared your friends? And they were like, I can't be this guy's friend any longer. Like, this is trippy. This is strange. This is too big. So God's like, tell the ones who are afraid they can go home. And he's like, okay, cool. So at least we've got 10,000 guys who are like ready to go. Cool, God, what do you want? He's like, well, you're still too many. Yeah, about that. You see, the Bible says about the enemy's 
just their, just their camels. <laughs> I don't even know why they had so many camels. You see going to war on a camel, it's like, but just their camels. It said they had so many camels, you couldn't count the number of their camels. Much less the people. So here Gideon is, he's like, oh, okay, okay, what's next? And God's like, all right, so this time I'm going to pick for you. Here's the second level of following, following God that helps you relationally. Is if you'll follow God, first of all, f- the fear that's associated with what God has called you to will eliminate a lot of relationships that you don't need in your life. But then, if you will trust God with that, God will start to take relationships out of your life for you. You don't even have to deal with it yourself. He says, this time I'm going to pick for you. And here's the problem. We have we pick according to to need and not according to plan. So most of you pick relationships and choose people that are in your life because of the needs you have. And God's like, I don't want you to pick people and choose people and go to war with people because of what you need. Because what you need is not what you think you need. I need you to get to a level of trust in me that you allow me to remove people from your life that don't need to be in your life and to leave people in your life that need to be left in your life. Let me do this for you. And if you are not careful, you will be pleading with God to keep people in your life that he wants to remove and begging God to kick people out of your life that he wants to stay. Because we pick according to need, not according to plan. And God's like, I have a plan. And this plan only involves 300, not 10,000. So I've got to work you down to 300. The way I'm going to work you down to 300, it's, it's it's a strange thing that I do, but I want you to trust me. So when you get down to the water, everybody's thirsty. Everybody in this room today is thirsty. All of y'all are thirsty. It's like only four people that want to admit it. But everybody, including myself, is thirsty. And I'm not just talking for water. I'm talking about in life. There is something that you look at, you want, you desire, you crave that's making you thirsty. And your mouth is dry for it. And you think, if I'll get it, I'll be satisfied. And they're all thirsty. And they get to the water. But they don't all drink and satisfy their thirst the same way. And God is trying to teach you to examine the way the people in your life satisfy their thirst. Because everybody's thirsty. Nobody in this room is exempt from being thirsty. Nobody in this room is exempt from being tempted. Nobody in this room is exempt from not having, you'll never have any desires that are wrong or any wants that are wrong or any, any passions that are wrong. No, all of us have it, but, but watch how the people around you satisfy their thirst. And he says, so the ones that dive head first into it, ah, uh, they can't go. But the ones who scoop it up with the hand and lick it out of their hand like a dog would lick out of a bowl. I, that's who can go with you because I don't, I don't need people with you that are so self-absorbed with their own desires that their eyes are not aware of what is happening around them. And, and we, we, just, we just want people in our, so, our lives so bad. And for some of you, the most destructive pattern in your life is that you need too many people around you. And your need for friendship is going to keep you from destiny. But if, if, if friendship becomes a plan a strategy in your life, then you will fulfill the call of God on your life. It's amazing to me. People are like, oh, 
That's just, that's not the way to, to, to have relationships. You should just, you should love everybody. And I'm like, yeah, love everybody, but just give yourself to a few. Like, I love everybody in this room, but all of y'all don't have the same access to my life that my wife has. There are limits to our relationships, and I set those boundaries. And if you're going to be a part of my life, you have to respect those boundaries that I have set. And some of y'all, you have more respect for your house. You guard your house more than you do your heart. But the Bible doesn't say out of the house of your life will flow the issues of life. No, it says out of your heart flow the And you have to protect and guard your heart. And if you'll let God, if you'll just literally, if you will just follow the call of God for your life, then there are so many people that will just fall off because they are too afraid to go where you're going. And if you'll keep following the call of God, there are people that you won't even have to send them a letter or unfriend them on Facebook. God will just remove them for you. So God's like, hey, I, 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 I can't. I can't use the people who went face down into the water. I can only use the ones who lapped it like a, like a dog. Watch how people satisfy their thirst. Here's just a practical. I didn't, I, I didn't mean for this to turn into a relationship sermon. But let me give you some just practical thoughts and, and I'll let you go. You can't get out of someone what is not in them. When God calls a person, he doesn't pull out of them what's not in them. He pulls out of them what he's already put in them. God wasn't lying when he called Gideon a mighty man of war. Because God had put that there. Gideon hadn't discovered it yet. His family hadn't discovered it yet. But God had put that there. So it was there. But you cannot get out of people what is not in them. And here's, here's something that I'm, I'm learning. Especially leading, leading at this level. Is that very often my warped view of people is not their fault. It's mine because I keep giving the wrong people access. You're like, men are just dogs. <laughs> well, here's the thing. The ones you keep picking on. So if you picked five dogs in a row, maybe the problem isn't that all men are dogs. Maybe the problem is your discernment is jacked up. He, no, but, and, and I started to realize, no, I've, I've let people have access that I shouldn't have given access because there's this, there's this part of me that gets dysfunctional. I'm a loyal person, but even loyalty can get dysfunctional. And I can try to, I can, I, I will try so hard to get something out of somebody because I'm the type of person like I, I can see like, oh, they could be and if they would just dedicate themselves. But here's the problem. They'll never be dedicated. And I keep trying to make them dedicated. And, and here it's a difference between seeing what somebody could be because everybody in this room has the potential to be something. But but what I can't give you is the thing that sometimes keeps me committed to a fault. Like, I can't give you dedication. But for me, sometimes I'll, I'll just keep trying to, trying to show you, you're, 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 you could be this and you could be this, but, I'm, but I can't give you dedication. Like, I can inspire you, but I can't make you. And sometimes I, I trust in my gift too much. And so I, I stay loyal to the process in somebody's life and not realizing that God's like, I said no to them a long time ago. Not no to them in the sense that God gave up on them, but no to them in the sense that they're, they're not a part of the future that I have for you. 
And that is not a negative thing on them. Sometimes it's just that you and them are not good together. Do you ever think about that? That sometimes God removes people from your life, not because they're bad, but just because you're not good together. It's volatile. It, we, we have these uh, two kids in our family, and when they were younger, uh, when they would get together, it was like, it was like nitro and glycerin. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It was like before the family event was over, they were outside at somebody's car with rocks, like writing their names in cars. But as long as they weren't together, they were great. But you put them together and they could destroy an entire family function in under an hour. And sometimes you are the nitro to somebody else's glycerin and it is just not good for you to be together. <laughs> Years ago, I heard somebody say this. They said, when people show you who they are, believe them. <laughs> oh, man. Can I tell you this this morning? I'm going to let you go. You have not lost anything that you need. Because God's plan is not connected to how much you have. but what you have left. So God says to Gideon, he says, okay, now that you're down to 300, I want to encourage you because you're probably pretty discouraged at this point. <laughs> yeah, God, I'm discouraged. You think? <laughs> he says, this is what I want you to do. I know this sounds wild, but I want you to go down into the enemy's camp. He's like, all right. And God goes, if you're too afraid, take Pearl with you. That name just does not strike fear. And when I think of it, take Pearl with me, that's, that's not a scary name. That doesn't sound like a scary person at all. <laughs> What's he going to do? Purr. <laughs> He's not even a lion. He's a cat, Lord. He's, anyhow, he's like, take him with you. I want to encourage you. Now, hold up. Whoa, 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 whoa. I thought you told everybody that was afraid to go home. God, you're acknowledging that Gideon is afraid, and Gideon is acknowledging that he's afraid because he decides to take Pearl with him. Here's the difference. There, there is a difference between being afraid and going back. And being afraid and staying. He didn't say, if you're afraid, leave. He said, if you're afraid, you can leave. And everybody in this room has the option to walk away. But I feel like I'm in a room full of some people today who have had fear try to intimidate them try to make them walk away trembling in their knees but they decided to stay I don't know what that means for you whether you decided to stay committed to the call of God or you decided to stay committed on a job that frustrated with, you decided to stay committed to a friend that I don't know what that staying looks like for everybody in this room but I know that very often there are difficult things that God calls us to and everything on the inside of us is trembling in fear and wants just the permission, just somebody give me permission to walk away and I'll walk away Nobody would think anything less of you and nobody would think any less of you. But for the ones who decide in spite of the fear to stay, God says, Gideon, I want to show you something about your future that maybe you haven't seen yet. Gideon, I want you to go to the enemy's camp 
And I want you to hear what the enemy is saying about you. So he gets to the enemy's camp, and the Bible says that as soon as he gets there, this guy says, hey, I had a dream last night. And he's telling a friend about the dream. He's like, yeah, bro, it was crazy. I, I had a dream that this loaf of bread started rolling down a hill. And when it rolled down the hill, it hit a tent in our camp. And when it hit the tent, it destroyed the entire tent. A loaf of bread? Wonder bread? Hit the tent? A bag of Sara Lee hit a tent and knocked it over? And when Gideon heard this, the Bible says that he, 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 he's starting to get excited. And so so they, they, the guy interprets the dream and he goes, no, that's not, that's not a... That's not a loaf of bread. That's the sword of Gideon. That's the sword of the Lord. And the Bible says Gideon goes back to camp and he immediately, he's like, hey guys, we got this. They're afraid of bread. We've been, we've been afraid of them and their weapons and their camels and their, they're afraid of bread. And I love it because the, the dream wasn't this mighty horse and Gideon marched in on the, this mighty horse and he knocked over the tents of the enemy. I love it because Gideon's like, man, this must be God because God knows I see myself as weak as a piece of bread. This must be from heaven. So, so in his spirit, he's like, oh, wow, God is going to do this. And he runs back and he tells everybody, now watch this. Gideon now comes up with a strategy. The Bible does not say that God told Gideon what to do. Now Gideon is a play, is at a place in his relationship where he serves the God of plans. And he's got this relationship now to where he's like, the God of plans is speaking into my mind and now I have a plan. And he tells the men what to do. He tells them, hey, we're gonna go in there with trumpets and jars and fire. The Bible says that when they get there, they smash their jars and they've got all these fires lit and they're blowing their trumpets and it's, it's in the middle of the night. So the enemy, one of their watches is coming back in and they're so confused by what's happening. They think that the, the, their own guys coming back after their watch are, are, are the enemy and they start to fight each other and they kill each other. God said, Gideon, you're a mighty man of war. Mighty men of war don't just wield weapons. They wield a plan. <laughs> you, don't, you, you don't hear me. Most of, these, most of these men and women that are leading our military, have many of them have never been in the actual physical combat they went to school and they learned how to strategize and come up with a plan for war oh, I'm telling you I just I just don't I don't think you have to walk around this life aimlessly wondering what does God want follow him in just the small details he'll start to reveal more and more and it will become so comfortable that your thoughts become like his thoughts the Bible, that's why the Bible says put on the mind of Christ because there are places I get in my life where I don't have to cry out to God and get a direct answer from heaven and literal plans drop into my lap this mind that he's been renewing and restoring and healing and there's a strategy in here that faithfulness will unlock it's not coming to you it's already in here that strategy that Gideon had was in him when he was in the wine press threshing wheat God called him because he knew it was there. He had to walk Gideon through some moments where Gideon learned how to trust God and listen to God just in the smallest little details of life. And God began to reveal more and more and more to the 
Gideon and his relationship with God, it was just like boom, 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 boom. It wasn't even a God, you're going to have to have a God. Gideon was like, I know what to do. For this moment, this is what I was called to do. Will you stand your feet with me this morning if you can? If not, just throw your hands up in the air. So if you're sitting or you're standing or you're kneeling or you're crying or you're not crying or you're tired or you're awake, whatever, can you just lift a hand to God and say, God, I, I know you have a call on my life and I know your plans for me are good and this tension that I feel between what you called me to and where I currently am is not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a moment of just me being faithful and being a good steward of what I have in my hand. Obeying you in the areas of just daily sacrifice and commitment to you. And as I grow in my faith, I know I'm going to get to this point where I'm going to have moments in my life where I realize this is what I was born to do. It's not going to feel like that every day, but there are going to be moments in my relationship with you where it's not like, God help, where you, you know the, you have the answer on the inside of you. You've got a strategy that's already in you. And I'm telling you today, God has given you a plan for your family. He's got a plan for your business. Those plans are good. They are not evil. They're to give you a hope, Jeremiah said, and a future. And we thank you for that today in Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're in this room today and you'd say, Robbie, I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I need a relationship with God today. Maybe you're in the room and you've never given your life to Jesus. Or maybe you're here today and you've been away from God. And you're like, man, I need to come home today. If that's you, I'm going to count to three. And when I do, I just want you to throw your hand up in the air. And we're going to pray with you. And we believe in this moment that you put your faith in him, that he's going to save your life. And you're going to become a new creature in Christ Jesus. And we believe that. So one, two, three. Throw that hand up in the air if that's you today. I see you. I see you. I see this group of hands over here. I see you there. Anyone else? Anyone else? Come on, let's all pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me, that you gave your life for me. I give you my life. Take all of it. Have your way. Use me for your glory. I repent of my sin. I confess you as Lord. Thank you for saving me, bringing me home. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's put our hands together for those that made that decision today.